Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. He came to an organization being investigated for sexual misconduct and then was hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. We talk with former Coast Guard Academy Superintendent Rear Admiral Bill Kelly about those challenges and changes. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Every three to four years in the military, people get moved on to new positions and roles, and the same applies to leaders of military academic establishments. Rear Admiral Bill Kelly has headed up the Coast Guard Academy since May of 2019, at a time when the organisation was being investigated for matters surrounding sexual misconduct and other issues involving cadets and how Academy staff had handled those matters. And if that wasn't enough for a new leader to contend with, then the COVID-19 pandemic came along, forcing the Academy into a whole new way of teaching and learning. I sat down with Kelly as he prepared to hand over the reins to his successor to talk about his four years heading the Academy and what lessons had been learned, the challenges of the pandemic and his retirement from the Coast Guard service to take on a new role as president of Christopher Newport University in Virginia. Rear Admiral, as always, thank you for your time. Thank you for your time. So, I don't know, does it seem a little bit of a of a quick trip? I mean, it was, what, May 30th, 2019, that you officially became the 42nd Superintendent of the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. Here we are now, almost towards the end of May 2023. How's it feel? So, you know, at times it feels like it flew right by, and then at other times it feels like it's been decades almost. So, you know, I think COVID will do that to you, but it has it has flown by, but also feels like so many years ago. In fact, there was a uh, couple graduates that are on board from the class of 20 and 21 that are here for a school. And when I saw them recently, just this past weekend, it felt like it had been years ago that they graduated, but they're relatively new graduates and they were here during our time. So yeah, a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings right now, culminating a 40-year career in uniform, 36 years as an officer. There's a lot of emotions running through this body right now. Of course, like any leadership role, it's never completely plain sailing. I mean, you did come into the role and of course there had been sort of allegations levied at the Coast Guard Academy with regards to, you know, sexual misconduct. There was investigations into that. So of course you headed into that. It's always been something that you did take head on. I mean, all of these challenges, you've always taken them head on and you made it very public at the time you were going to sort this out. Looking back at it now how do you feel that you did with that particular because you know organizations of this size constantly need to like reevaluate themselves yeah it's it's uh you know we we talk about the scourge of sexual assault and sexual harassment not only within the military but also just within society and what i found is you need to keep working at it each and every day you need to be honest and transparent as you said take it take it head on but recognize that that it's not a matter if it will happen It's a matter of when it's going to happen and what are you going to do to respond to that? What are you going to do to to support the member? What are you going to do to follow up and fully investigate it and then look to hold folks accountable for their actions? What I found is you have to wrap that in a culture 
and a climate that says that type of behavior is not acceptable and we will hold you accountable for that. And when you can drive that down so that the students are holding each other accountable and the members are holding each other accountable, that's what we really found was where you can you can start to impact this. Now, the recent report just came out from the Office of People Analytics under DOD. And what they found is from 2018, which was the last time the study was done because of COVID, to now, no change, no appreciable upward or downward trend. So basically, uh, no statistically different numbers. Again, we're all struggling with how to take that, right? So do folks feel more supported to come forward with complaints? And so if they are harassed or or assaulted, they feel supported that they can come forward and that they'll be be given the support throughout the process? I don't know. I hope that that's the case. If if somebody is wronged, that they feel like they can come forward and the command will support them and that the, the resources are in place that they need. And the Coast Guard has done a good job of supporting us and providing us the resources to be able to ensure that we can provide that care and support that our members need. I think a, a point that we should make, of yeah. course, is it isn't something that is an issue just for an organisation like yeah. the Coast Guard Academy. Yeah. This is a situation which we do read about and we do hear about in obviously other military establishments. So sure. we just want to make yeah. that clear that this is not just an issue for one particular part, obviously, right. of, of our military here in the, yes, the US. You. The other thing I want to touch upon, of course, and you alluded to it as well uh, in the interview just a few moments ago, you came here, you have done wonderful things, but then COVID came along and <laughs> put a stop on, on everything. I mean, we all sort of like had to take a stand back as the world closed down. How did that impact things for you? Because there were many challenges that that obviously brought not only to you and your administration team, but also for the cadets as well. Yeah, it, it clearly good number of challenges. But, you know, as, as you, you and I spoke, about four years ago, some of the challenges coming into the job. I think one of the things that COVID did in a weird sort of way is it took the air out of some of these some of these issues that folks were very worked up about. And it made us focus on, hey, we need to take care of each other. We need to take care of this institution. We need to take care of our cadets. And I think COVID in a weird sort of way gave us an opportunity to take a breath, just pause. What's really important? And what was really important was being stronger together and caring about each other. I will share with you that this this faculty, this staff, this community did an amazing job of saying, we need to have our cadets on campus. We need to have an in-person experience. The Coast Guard needs them to be trained and prepared. And they rallied. I mean, they rallied like, like nothing I've ever seen before. From our science department on one end of the campus to our math department on another, to our medical staff, Coast Guard provided us the resources that we need. Athletics figured out how to allow the cadets to continue to recreate and do the things that they love. It was, in in hindsight, going through it was incredibly difficult. But in hindsight, as I prepare my remarks for Friday's retirement ceremony and change of command, you know, I'm able to look back and go, we did a pretty good job. When a lot of other institutions made decisions to go in a different direction, we made a decision to be in person, and I think we did it as well as, as anybody could have expected to do it. I suppose when you look at it, again, where you're training the next group of leaders for the Coast Guard, there is no way that you can put that on right, hold. It's right. not like, oh, yeah, we're just going to miss a year and you know, and we'll carry on from yeah, there. I mean, there yeah. is this constant requirement to push the cadets through its homeland security. It's not like it's you know a high, a high school where, okay, we can relax off a little sure, bit. I mean, sure. it must have been incredibly challenging to find... How to do new ways to to keep this machine moving? Yeah, yeah, it, it, and it was, and it and it was, you know, it was again, folks on campus, our civil engineering faculty figured out how to test wastewater on campus, right? Because you can get ahead of COVID 
if you know, you know, basically you're testing the wastewater. We all know what that is. You know, they trace the sewage pipes on campus. Our, our science department said, hey, wait a second. We have the machines here in our science labs that can actually do surveillance testing for the COVID-19 virus. Our math department figured out with 1,050 students, this is about how many you need to test on a daily basis, a weekly basis to figure out what the kind of where we're at. So yeah, folks rallied. And then the Coast Guard, to your point exactly, said there can be no pause in this uh, bill. We need to graduate students. We need to prepare cadets. And they provided us, they, they flowed the resources to us. So we were able to do that. And it was a total total team effort, you know, across the board and something that I think we're all very proud of. You went on, of course, to hold a virtual graduation (laughs) because of COVID. I mean, how did that work out? And I'm sure there was a certain amount of disappointment for everybody because I've been to your graduations in person. They are amazing spectacles to see. So how did it feel having to sort of like basically scale it down? Yeah, and we did. But, you know, we did. I think we did an amazing job of providing a, a virtual graduation. And I, I had the opportunity, you know, as you clean out your office, as we sit here amongst a bunch of boxes in my office, and came across multiple letters and emails, some from parents and cadets who were more than disappointed that we didn't have an in-person graduation like West Point did, and then others who were thankful that we we provided the type of ceremony and the type of fitting end in a very challenging situation that we did. So, you know, I'm, I'm reminded that you don't always, you can't always get it right for everyone, but you try to do your best each and every time. And, and I think those other emails and, and letters buoyed my spirits that, you know, we tried to get it as, as good as we could because our cadets deserved it. Obviously, as we said, you are moving on. So this yeah. is perhaps a little bit of a, a bizarre question to ask sure. you. But do you think at some point, maybe in the future, there may be a graduation, an in-person graduation for that particular class that didn't get to have their day, as it were? I mean, yeah. is it even a possibility? Because, I mean, the problems are, of course, they're dispersed around the world. Right. They, and that's exactly right. You know, the United States Coast Guard is literally across the nation, around the globe. The sun never sets on our Coast Guard. And so my hope is that as many members of the class of 2020 come back for their reunion in 2025 and give themselves the opportunity to gather once again. And, and, you know, all the homecoming stuff here is wonderful, but just for them to come together and be with each other, I think is so very important. Moving on, of course, as we say, COVID, we're still waiting to see, obviously, the end of COVID even as we speak now in 2023. And of course, you know, um, the negative stuff was still so like slowly coming out as well. There was a Homeland Security report that came out about the Coast Guard Academy's mishandling of racial harassment allegations. Lessons again learned from this uh, because again, big report pointing fingers. Yeah, okay, we can always do better. What lessons were learned from that? I think a tremendous number of lessons were learned, and one of the things that that uh, was an outgrowth of that report was uh, a National Academy of Public Administration look at our cultural competence on board our academy. And, and Napa came in and did a over a year-long study. And the summation of that was cultural competences within reach for the United States Coast Guard Academy. I think we learned a lot going through you know, many of the things that you and I have talked about uh, before and, and the reports. We learned a lot. And I think COVID gave us an opportunity to pause and, again, take a Take a moment to not only deal with the, the challenges of COVID, but but also you know the racial awakening that happened in, in June of uh, you know of 2020. We saw you know our nation 
really say, hey, wait a second, we need to be a more inclusive and equitable nation as a whole. And I think it gave us an opportunity here as, a, as an institution to, to really focus in on that because inclusion and equity was so important during COVID. Not every student went home to an office, great Wi-Fi and, and multiple computers in their home. We had students that were basically looking for space on their kitchen table and trying to you know share a computer with their brother or sister or go to the local library or the Panera Bread to, to get just get on Wi-Fi. And so it reminded us that we don't all come from the same backgrounds. We don't come with all the same, the attributes and, and the trappings maybe that some, some folks do. And so we have a lot to learn. We've learned a lot, but we still have a lot to do. We continue to strive to bring in the most diverse you know, group of young women and men from across our country. And that is a challenging thing today in higher ed. Across the board in higher ed, it's incredibly hard to, uh, to meet the numbers that, uh, that institutions want to meet. There's just a shrinking pool of high school graduates. COVID impacted middle school, high school learning. So ensuring our students are prepared to come to this STEM institution, one of the finest in the nation, the number one public school in the North. You know, all of those things are impacting our ability to be the institution that we aspire to be. But my hope is that we continue to keep our foot on the gas, never rest on our laurels, and then continue to to just press forward. So, you know, as I get ready to hand the baton to Admiral Johnson, he's been on our board of trustees for the last five years. Mike is, is fully engaged in what we're doing here, and I'm certain he's ready to pick up the baton and continue to march forward. Just to expand on that a yeah. little bit, it is, again, we would be remiss if we didn't actually say that the diversity in the Coast Guard Academy has, in fact, increased fairly dramatically. I mean, and in no small part, that is down to you while you've been here sort of thing. So you must be pleased to see that the figures, uh, you know, and the statistics are changing because you've actually graduated some of the most diverse classes over the past couple of years. We have. Uh, we definitely have. And I think our retention rates are, are the thing we're the most proud of. Our current junior class, is retaining at about 94%. That's, uh, that's off the charts. Current sophomore class is just about 91%. And then we're going to bring in a class of about 290. We have seen a significant growth in the Asian American Pacific Islander cohort of students on campus, and their retention is exceptional. We continue to you know, struggle. I'm going to use the word struggle to, to recruit uh, and, and, and retain African American young women and men. The African-American young women and men that we were able to bring in are fantastic. But as I look at higher education, as I get ready to go into uh, higher education from here, I, I recognize it's not just the Coast Guard Academy. It's all of us. And, you know, education is the great equalizer. If you can provide a solid education to young women and men, they can go, go anywhere and do anything. And so we need to continue to, uh, to invest in that. And we will continue to invest in that. But I think, you know, we work so hard to recruit students here that it's incumbent on us to retain them here and provide the services and support that they're going to need to be successful. And I think we've done a really good job. Of it. And again, not trying to select, let the, the Coast Guard Academy off here, but again, yep. having spoken to other military organizations, I mean, fairly recently, I was at an event uh, and the Navy spoke about how they are struggling yep. to actually yep. get, you know, people to come and join the Navy. So this, again, is something which is happening across all yep. military. Yes. I mean, we hear it, obviously, even in law enforcement. So it's, it's something that all of these agencies are having to, to look at and, and are struggling with. Yeah, it's, recruiting in today's environment is incredibly challenging. We see that on our enlisted side of the house, trying to recruit active duty members in, and we see that in, in college admissions. So you started here a few years ago. You move on. 
lots of things have happened. Yeah. We've been discussing just some of them. What would you say have been particularly some of the, your, the high points for, for you, you know, in your time here? Yeah, first and foremost, we have to talk about COVID, right? I mean, that's just the fact we were talking about still with us. I have two, mem- two close friends who aren't able to come to my retirement ceremony. He emailed me yesterday. He's got COVID. Uh, so it's still, it still exists. But our ability to get through COVID was fantastic. I am so proud of the fact that, you know, when I came into the job, the Coast Guard said, Bill, we need you to take a look at our academic governance. We need to take a look at how we do, you know, learning and teaching and education at the academy. We've kind of been doing it the same way for almost 50 years. And I was able to work with our faculty to identify the need to shift from a dean model to a provost model. And we, we gain support for that. We gain the resources we need for that. We have a provost in place for almost two years now. Just finished up our first academic year with three schools. We have a school of engineering cyber systems, a school of leadership management, and a school of science, math, and humanities. That's that's groundbreaking. That's transformational. We've achieved some uh, some successes in the athletic world of work, not only on the fields and the courts, but we also gained legislation support to be able to open up a 501c3 to support our athletic funds, much like the other service academies do. And we're doing things in, in our Kamenak Cadet shop, our student affairs shop. There's a lot of goodness across campus and a lot of, uh, a lot of transformation that's happened in the past four years. So interestingly, you will be leaving yeah. the service yeah. after how many years? 36 years as an officer, 40 years total, if you count my academy time. Well, of course, we thank you for your service, sir. But you're not leaving education. This is something which is truly a passion of yours. You are the new president of Christopher Newport University, possibly their youngest maybe i'm not sure but yeah i don't i don't know about that i'm maybe not as young as i look so thank you for that (laughs) (laughs) but also i understand that this particular university hasn't had many presidents either so you join sort of a bit of an elite class because they clearly hold on to their presidents which is a good thing what interested you on you know to to go that route yeah so thank thank you for that and um, i will be the sixth president at christopher newport university which is one of the uh, regional colleges and universities in the state of virginia Commonwealth of Virginia, and we're really looking forward to it. But my wife and I, you know, we've had the opportunity to serve as the school chief at Officer Cannon School, the commanding officer of Recruit Training Center Cape May, and now as a superintendent. So we've we were, were the first couple who had the opportunity to oversee each of the accession sources into the United States Coast Guard, the military side of the house. We really enjoy being around young people and helping them achieve their goals and, and dreams and aspirations, and then seeing their families and alumni and others celebrate that. So when it you know, we, we knew we had to retire this year, mandatory retirement in the military. We decided we wanted to, we wanted to identify a couple opportunities that were out there that really aligned with our value. There are many opportunities in higher ed, but there is only one Christopher Newport University. We had an opportunity to visit there almost a year ago today. As we finished our, our tour with one of our colleagues down there, we got in the car and we looked at each other and we said, this is it. This is the place. And so we were all in on learning about the institution and, and uh, ensuring that it was the right fit for us. And I am just so thankful that they, they have chosen not only myself, but my wife as well, my wife Angie, to, uh, to be the next president and the first lady of just an amazing institution. Well, of course, we wish you nothing but success you. as you step into this new role. My final question to you is sure. just quite simply this. People talk about legacies, what do you see as your legacy that you leave behind as you step away from the Coast Guard wow. as, you know, as something that's been a huge part of your life? Yeah. So, um, and I'm, I'm getting a little getting a little teary-eyed here. Uh, thank you for hitting that emotional uh, emotional nerve. You know, I think the legacy is the, is the folks 
that you leave in your wake, right? We think about, you know, being on a Coast Guard cutter and, and you, you tend to look forward. You know, people are, you know, strategic. I'm looking forward. Well, I think it's really important to look back in your wake and see the people that, that you've had an opportunity to influence, folks you've had an opportunity to help develop, those folks that you've, you know, you've been through so much with. And I can look back in my wake and go, you know, there's a lot of enlisted women and men, there's a lot of officers in this service that we had an opportunity to influence in some small way or some big way. And they're going to do great things for our nation. And that's, that's really the legacies that's, that's most important, not only to me, but to my wife is the, is the folks that we've had the opportunity to engage with. I would count you in that, in that group. That's very kind of you. So I will say to you, Rear Admiral Bill Kelly, 42nd Superintendent of the U.S. Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut. I believe it's fair winds and following seas. We just like fair winds. Following seas gets to be a little tricky when you're in a, in a Coast Guard cutter. But fair winds is always always a great. And calm seas. Fair winds and calm seas. Well, thank you for that and continued success in everything you do. And thank you. Thank you so for much. For everything that you've done for us, obviously, here in New London and for the Coast Guard again. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's been enjoyable. ask their parents a lot of questions. Why can't people fly? Gravity. Is the moon really made of cheese? Yep, cream cheese. When can I move into a big kid's car seat? Uh... For some questions, parents may not have the answer, but that's okay. They can't know everything, but knowing the right seat for their age and size will help protect them in a car crash. Find out more at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Where do babies come from? Good luck, Dad. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's hurricane season, and your trees can be damaged by high winds. Green Valley Tree has you covered with our emergency tree service outside of our regular business hours. We offer emergency tree service by bucket, crane, and climbing for residential, commercial, and even municipalities across eastern Connecticut. From full tree removals, uprooted or broken trees, to broken, hung up, or fractured tree limbs. Call our emergency hotline on 860-966-5710 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week, sponsored by... When you face cancer, you deserve to be treated by leading experts in a caring and personalized manner. At Eastern Connecticut Hematology and Oncology, or ECHO, we pride ourselves on getting to know each patient and going the extra mile to deliver outstanding care. Whether you're visiting our doctors, getting an infusion, doing lab work, or spending time with our support team. We treat you like family. See what our patients say at echoassociates.org family. U.S. Coast Guard Sector Long Island Sound that provides Coast Guard coverage for Connecticut and the north and south shores of Long Island is under new leadership. The triennial change of command ceremony was held recently in front of local dignitaries from both Connecticut and New York State. Captain Eva Van Camp is the outgoing commander of the Coast Guard Station and thanked her staff for their work over the last three years through challenging times. Your professionalism helped us all to navigate unprecedented times through a global pandemic to keep our people safe while leaning forward to complete the mission. The increased social unrest throughout the country, the Stronger Together campaign where we created a culture of family and respect, and the busiest search and rescue and law enforcement workload in New England where we saw a 30% increase in search and rescue cases during COVID. Van Camp was the first Asian American to command sector Long Island Sound and in her next role will become the first Asian American assistant superintendent of the Coast Guard Academy in New London. 
Captain Elisa Garrity, a former Deputy Sector Commander of the Port of Boston, becomes the second female commander of the Coast Guard unit and said she's looking forward to her role. One of the things that I am most excited about as I take command is the exceptional diversity in operational missions at the sector. Between the port security missions in New London, recreational boating safety in Long Island Sound, offshore search and rescue off the south shore of Long Island, and the marine safety missions, we execute all Coast Guard missions here. It will be my honor to lead this remarkable team in these challenging missions. As we come to the end of June, which is Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month, experts are looking for better access to Alzheimer's treatment drugs. Edwin J. Vieira from the Connecticut News Service reports. 80,000 people aged 65 and older live with this illness, and a report from the Alzheimer's Association finds this number is expected to grow to 91,000 by 2025. While there is no cure for Alzheimer's, the Food and Drug Administration has approved new drugs to slow its progression. But Kristen Cusato with the Connecticut chapter of the Alzheimer's Association says there are still hurdles for people who need them. CMS, the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare, said we will not cover this drug or any other drugs of this class. We as the Alzheimer's Association, typically we're pretty quiet. We are getting loud about this and holding rallies and really demanding that CMS change their mind. She adds medications offering families hope should not cost almost $30,000 and should be available to people who need them. In the hopes of changing some minds, the Connecticut chapter is holding a rally for state access. For more information, visit alz.org ct events. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. The Connecticut Department of Consumer Protection is reminding adults who choose to grow cannabis at home to follow all laws and regulations and use safe gardening practices. Under the law, all adults 21 and older may grow up to three mature and three immature plants in their home, with a maximum of 12 plants per household beginning July 1st this year. Plants should be secure from children, pets and others who should not have access to them. Cannabis must be grown indoors in a secure, locked area that is not visible to the public. Adults who choose to grow their own cannabis should use safe and healthy gardening practices for growing any products they intend to consume, said DCP Commissioner Brian Caffarelli. Cannabis was approved for adult use in June 2021 in the state, and adult use sales began on Jan 10, 2023 at licensed retailers. Resources regarding responsible cannabis use, as well as information about addiction and health risks, is available at ct.gov forward slash cannabis. More electric car charging stations could be coming to a town near you soon as Governor Lamont has announced that his administration is releasing more than $6 million from the legal settlement in the Volkswagen Corporation VW emissions cheating scandal to fund 54 electric vehicle supply equipment or EVSE projects across the state. Administered by the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, the state is making funds available for the installations to encourage the use of electric vehicles. Approximately $1.8 million is being awarded for EBSE deployment at state government sites to advance the sustainability goals of Governor Lamont's Executive Order No. 1, with an additional $3.3 million awarded for municipal projects, 10 of which are located in environmental justice communities, and nearly $1 million is being dedicated to support non-government public EBSE installations. In eastern Connecticut, Yukon in stores will have around 18 electric vehicle charging points installed, and the towns of Columbia, Coventry, Essex, Mansfield, Pomfret and Union will also receive electric charging point funding. 
And the University of Connecticut got a surprise recently with the introduction of mascot in training Jonathan 15th, who's learning the ropes from Yukon's resident good boy Husky Jonathan the 14th. Jonathan 15th made his public debut at the Yukon Board of Trustees meeting recently with student handlers from the co-ed service fraternity Alpha Pi Omega. He'll soon be a fixture walking on campus with Jonathan 14th and eventually attending university events as his training progresses and he is ready for the spotlight. Jonathan 15th was part of a six-puppy litter born in Ontario, Canada on April 19th and was picked up by his handlers on June 17th, which happens to be National Mascot Day and brought back to Connecticut. Huskies named Jonathan have represented Yukon dating back to 1935 in honour of Jonathan Trumbull, the last colonial governor and first state governor of Connecticut. Alpha Pi Omega has helped to care for the Jonathans since the 1970s. And as for Jonathan 14th, as he approaches his 10th birthday in October this year, he'll be easing into a mascot emeritus role and continue making appearances with his successor, just as Jonathan 13th did when Jonathan 14th was introduced as a puppy back in 2014. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East this week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott Smith. Thank you for listening.